the Master Tavern Keeper's History of the Old World. By the gods, Heinrich, what just happened? Ah, yeah, so well, it was a uh, kind of magic. Uh, no, that's not quite right. I mean, it was actually real, world-shattering magic. The Skink interpreter, Huini Pachutti, had used his prodigious magical skills to summon a comet from the heavens and cast it down into the ocean, right into the midst of the sea battle between Marco Colombo and the Norse Jarl Vegir, the sacrificer's three ships. Such power. And from a mere interpreter, too. How is such mastery of the winds of magic possible? Well... Huini Pajutli was not only an interpreter, he was also a very high-ranking skink priest, and the right-hand man, I mean the uh, right-hand uh, lizard, to Lord Ziltok, the uh, slan mage priest who first greeted Marco Colombo upon his arrival in the New World, if you uh, recall. The slan are arguably the most potent magic fielders in the world, and their underlings share in this wealth of proficiency. Ah, yes, of course. I'd almost forgotten that. I'd not credited him with uh, possessing such magical potency, but you are quite right. He is in stark contrast to the wizards of my acquaintance here in the old world, who can do no more than uh, fiddle about with spell components, mix up the words of charms, and are all but limited to mere sorcery, as opposed to uh, true magic. Ah, yeah, it is true. My colleague Magnus the Bright is always poring over his grimoires and perusing the shelves of alchemists in search of components to use in his uh, parlor tricks. Admittedly, some of these are very powerful, but he seems more like a uh, conduit for rather than a uh, wielder of magic, in my uh, humble opinion. Ah, yes, I understand what you mean. And yes... My friend, the elf Archmaid Calhordus Whitemane, requires no such accoutrements. And I have certainly seen him perform astounding feats of magic, although nothing akin to dragging a uh, heavenly body from the ether, it has to be said. I wouldn't be surprised if he could do it. I've just not seen it. Anyway, why is it we men cannot do the same? It would be such a boon to the defenders of the old world. Surely we would be able to drive back the ravening hordes of chaos with such power. I have asked Calhordus a number of times if he won't take a human apprentice to train in the winds of magic, but he always says that uh, he's already an outcast, and if he started revealing the secrets of the High Elves to uh, mere mortals, then the Guardians of Hoeth would no longer be content with his uh, perpetual exile. Instead, they'd be coming for his head. Although, he did foretell that someone far stronger than he will come. And that this, uh, well, elf, I suppose, will teach men the way. 
However, there was no time frame on his prophecy. It could be a, a year from now, but equally it could be a thousand years from now. I guess for the moment, the only uh, human practitioners with any skill are the uh, necromancers. Ah, yeah, indeed. I can attest to that. I had a run-in with a particularly powerful one recently, and uh, I, uh, mm, I may have accidentally earned his enmity. Oh, really? Here in Tabarro? Who was that? Ah, yeah, yeah. A necromancer who went by the name of, um, Valdotain. What? You don't half pick him. He is not a man to cross, I can assure you. The only necromancer more deadly than him in Tabarro is probably, uh, Maria Morte. Well, at least it wasn't her then. Ah, oh dear. I think it was her tower that we, uh, robbed. What? By the gods, man! You're chalking up all the best foes. And tomorrow you're, uh, going to try and kill the usurper of the city, right? Yeah, yeah. There is a fine line between foolishness and bravery, my friend. Please. Take care. Yeah, 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 yeah. It is fine. Who wants to live forever? I'm in this world for good vine and good times. Surely it is uh, better to burn out than to uh, fade away. I agree. But at this rate, you're going to end up at best a zombie. At worst, you'll have your soul cast into the pit of oblivion to be consumed by Usidin, the ancient lord of death. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're so melodramatic. I'll be fine. There is more to me than meets the eye. So, Vizor, shall we uh, return to the uh, sea battle between Marco and Vigil? Oh, yes, please. I think we're all still on the edge of our seats. See, see, continue. Well, the uh, incandescent fireball of meteoric rock was vaporized as it struck the ocean, and the uh, dousing of its fiery heart sent a miasma of hot water vapor shooting out in all directions. And uh, this was also accompanied by a wall of water that was thrown up high into the sky. My grandpapa said that both uh, Vegir's damaged kingship and their own Tylian boat were struck by a gigantic burning hot wave that threw both away from the epicenter of the uh, comet fall like pieces of driftwood kicked to the shore by an angry tide. It was uh, inevitable that uh, some members of the crew were blown from the deck and each that was lost was greedily swallowed whole by the thirsty ocean. The boat too had suffered. Many of her sails had been ripped away, and those that remained had been uh, torn to strips. Each of her masts too had been uh, fractured by the immense forces that had been hurled against them. But here was where the uh, weeks renovating, strengthening and modifying the boat paid dividends. In order to fulfill her new role as a uh, pilot hunter, my grandpapa had overseen the uh, refitting of the old Pintolaga, and she had had her uh, hood reinforced at strategic points, in addition to uh, unused hatches being sealed and waterproofed. The removal of a number of the uh, cannons, too, 
had uh, not only increased her maneuverability, but it had also improved her buoyancy and balance. Thus, when the wave caused by the impact struck, the boat was buffeted along, rather than being swamped and dragged under. This was in stark contrast to uh, Vegir's boat that was hurled over the tumultuous waters like a mouldy pancake that uh, somehow managed to remain afloat. But it was the wolf ships who bore the brunt of the carnage, as the comet had landed squarely between the two vessels that had been giving chase to the Tylean boat. It engulfed both in a boiling deluge that swallowed each up and then dragged them down into the depths without a trace. So, back on the uh, Pintolaga, the force of the explosion had caused my grandpapa to be knocked unconscious. He had already strapped himself to the ship's wheel and this had prevented him being washed away in the deluge. Uh, he was eventually dragged up from the depths of his mind by Marco's voice. Frederick, Frederick, can you hear me? My grandpapa opened his eyes and looked into the face of his friend. His blonde locks were bedraggled and his clothes were disheveled, but he was very much alive. Please, Mermidia, that you still live. Can you stand? My grandpapa slowly dragged himself to his feet. Elsewhere, on the boat, he saw others doing the same. The ship was very much the worse for its ordeal, but it still remained afloat. This gave my grandpapa more than a uh, modicum of satisfaction. The boat had been pushed up the coast, but was now anchored near a sandy cove north of the cliffs and leading straight into the jungle. My grandpa looked down the coast. He could uh, still distantly see the uh, rocky promontory from which the skink Queenie Patrutli had cast his spell to draw down the comet. The tall skerry was now empty, though. And there was no sign of the uh, lizardman priest. Marco noticed my grandpapa regarding the rocky outcropping. Ah, see, after the explosion of water had died down, Winnie Pachutli again mounted his pterodon and took to the skies. He first flew over to our boat, circling it. No doubt checking to see if we still lived, before directing his beast to the wreckage of the north ship yonder. With this, Marco gestured towards the nearby shoreline. The kingship of the North Jarl, Vegil the Sacrificer, had been washed ashore and lay wrecked upon the sands of the cove. Such was the destruction laid upon it that my grandpapa hadn't even noticed it earlier, assuming it was simply a natural debris. The skinker circled the wreckage too, before hovering there for a moment, holding up a very large green gem 
and I'm making sure that I saw it. He knew I was following his movements with my telescope. He then dropped it into the splintered hull of the longship before flying back inland. Ha! They treat us like dogs. They throw a stick and expect us to retrieve it. But uh, uh, we have no other recourse but to go get it. Damn, they're called the blooded souls. Marco then gestured to the uh, port side of their boat, where one of the ship's sea boats was being uh, prepared to make the uh, short hop over to the North Lake. Frederica, are you are strong enough to join us? As Marco asked, he handed my grandpapa a gourd of lizardman vine. My grandpapa took a long swig gulping it down slowly and allowing its fire to spread through his torso before nodding his assent. Good. I have a feeling we may have use for your axes. The small seaboat set off. It seated six pairs of men, who each manned one of the uh, long oars. And, in addition, there was space at the rear for my uh, grandpapa to uh, keep watch, and room for Marco to stand at the front and uh, direct the goings-on. It did not take long to reach the cove where the wrecked kingship lay. The Tylians beached their boat, drew up their oars, and took their crossbows. Oh, why only crossbows? What about their rifles and handguns? Surely these would have been uh, more useful. Ah, yeah, a good point. Uh, actually, uh, they didn't bring any of their handguns because, well, uh, what little saltpeter and sulphur they had left on the boat had become soaked in the fallout of the uh, comet strike, rendering their black powders. Uh, useless. Until it could be uh, dried out, of course. Ah, of course. Uh, please forgive my uh, amateur question. Ah, no, 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 no. It was a very good point. And as you always say, it is only by questioning and querying that the uh, veracity of any story can be discerned. <laughs> ah, yes, I do, don't I? Mm, uh, thank you, thank you. Anyway, please continue. Mm, but of course. Though we saw all 14 members of the uh, seaboat crew stepped out onto the beach as Vaughn and slowly edged towards the waterlogged carcass of the longship. To everyone's surprise, it was in better conditions than it had at first appeared from the uh, main boat especially considering it had been severely mauled by cannon fire and then all but drowned. This, of course, meant that there were potentially survivors on the boat too, and the sights of each man's crossbow became fixed upon the deck of the enemy vessel as they carefully covered the short distance between it and their seaboat. 
No one wanted to take any chances with such a dangerous opponent as Vegir, and they were right to be so cautious. As the men got closer, a heart-stopping growl erupted from the wrecked boat. Suddenly, a feral abomination, half man, half wolf, leapt from the ship and landed squarely in front of the Tylians with a wet thud. Scraps of armoured plate sonorously clanking against each other as it did so. Ulf Vienna, cried Marco. It was one of the infamous wolfmen of Norska. It was huge, almost twice the size of a man, and was partially clad in parts of chaos armor and shreds of chainmail. Its upper limbs were more human than wolves, although they bulged with fur-covered muscle and sinew. These limbs were crowned by large, rasping hands, each ending in taloned fingers that raked up the sand and stones beneath them as they steadied the swaying monster above. The beast's torso and hindquarters, in contrast, were completely lupine, although on a much larger scale than a true wolf perhaps even larger than a uh, dire wolf. My grandpapa also told me that it had only one leg. The other was missing below the knee, and the uh, semi-condyled stump still dripped with blood. But what really drew everyone's eye was its head. It curled back its lips as it bared fearsome rows of incising teeth at the Tylians, slobber and bile dripping in viscous trails from its maw. Astride the terrifying teeth, a pair of piercing yellow eyes glinted in the sunlight. Their gaze bore into each man in turn, mysteriously freezing them in place before finally coming to rest on Marco. Marco resisted the hypnotic stare, but tripped over his boots as he tried to step back, landing in the sand and sending his crossbow tumbling away from him. The Ulfvirna immediately launched itself forwards on its one good leg and grabbed the two nearest sailors by their heads, all but twisting them off as it bloodily furrowed the beach with their bodies. It now had a direct line to Marco, but before it could pounce, the boatswain, a man called Gio, shook off his paralysis and stepped between the two. The creature was lightning fast, so in less than a heartbeat, its slavering jaws bit deep into Gio's throat and lifted him from the ground leaving his cutlass flailing around uselessly as he struggled in his death throes. The remaining Tylerians still seemed to be frozen in terror, but my grandpapa had been unaffected and hurled one of his throwing axes at the Ulfiana. It struck and embedded itself in the monster's shoulder, a rich, bloody ichor 
spurted forth, and the spell holding the other man was seemingly broken. Marco, too, regained his composure, stood, retrieved his crossbow, and took aim at the Ulfiana, and the poor spasming boatswain. Shoot them! Shoot them both! At this, ten crossbow bolts flew at the monster and his victim. This caused the Ulfiana to stagger back and put a merciful end to the suffering of the boatswain. Finally, the days of crossbow practice paid off, for not a single bolt missed. Marco grinned. Fire at the wheel. The sailors then began what could best be described as a dance around the shapeshifter as they uh, pelted it with crossbow shots. The men to the fore shot off bolts at point-blank range before retreating from the slashing claws to reload. Whilst the men behind, once they had finished reloading, moved to engage the beast once more. My grandpapa circulated at the back, handing out ammunition in addition to stepping in a few times to defend his fellow seamen with his remaining axe. But... Despite the well-orchestrated attack, the monster still managed to uh, catch the foot of one of the men and immediately hurled him against a nearby hull of the wrecked longship, killing him instantly and leaving a bloody stain on the barnacled hull. This was to be his last victim, though, for soon. The sheer weight of bolts protruding from the exposed parts of his skin, took their toll, and the monstrosity finally slumped to the floor, seemingly unconscious. But, despite having felled the beast, everyone still kept their distance and used the reprieve to catch their breath. As they watched, the Ulfiana began to slowly change, and a sound like the cracking of bones and the wet tearing of meat emanated from the fallen creature as its bestial features started to recede. Little by little, a face emerged upon the bleeding shoulders of the enemy, and it was the face of Vegir, the sacrificer. Suddenly, a large number of skinks darted past the Tylians and began swarming over the wrecked North ship, whilst behind, a familiar voice called out. It was the interpreter, Huini Pachutli. Bravo, Manami! Marco turned to face the skink, anger rising in his guts. The accompanying cohort of skinks seemed to sense it too and raised their blowpipes at the Tylian, ready to shoot. Marco forced his fist to unclench and bit his tongue. Your anger is understandable, but what was I to do? You were about to be caught and killed. I saved your life, but perhaps 
too much to ask for a warm blood to understand that. I understand completely. We are but the dogs to you. Indeed, indeed. But did you not yourself describe you and your men as dogs of war? Ah, but that is a... Enough, enough, warm blood. Look. The interpreter suddenly gestured to the skinks on the north leg, who were holding aloft a number of golden plaques and other archaic lizardman artifacts that they had found amongst the wreckage. We have secured the lost artifacts. This is all that matters, not your hurt pride or feelings. However, I trust these gifts will help you forgive my actions. At his words, a gigantic lizard with a bony crest emerged from the jungle that edged the beach. Upon its back were two huge woven baskets filled to the brim with pearls. All of the men looked and stood slack-jawed. Before Marco could say anything more, Skinks weaved past the Tylians to heave up the unconscious body of Vegir, the sacrificer. I think this one will make a fine sacrifice to Sotek. My gratitude for pacifying him. Until next time, Marco Colombo, I bid you adieu, mon ami. And with that, the lizard men disappeared into the jungle, leaving the Tylians to once again count their baubles.